What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Shonda D and Naked Nikki, and we're coming at you with our brand new podcast, Brown Liquor, where we discuss all of the different taboo topics centered around lesbianism and all of the nuances it entails. Tune in every Saturday for new episodes dropping on all podcast platforms. And this is where it's time for us to step up and get naked. Fems, we gonna get naked too. But we're going to do a little bit of battling. So, studs, we going to win. we about to show them that we can be vulnerable. All right. Tune in every Saturday for Brown Liquor, y'all. Brown Liquor, y'all. Yo, 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 baby, yo. It is your favorite Brown Liquor Girls. And we are back with another episode of Brown Liquor. I can't stand you. <laughs> I can't stand you. And as always, it is your girl Shonda D and Nick and Nikki. And today we are gonna be interviewing Nick and Nikki. All right, first, wait a minute. You gotta stop because you are hilarious. We are gonna get all up in her business, y'all. Wait a minute, though. Before what? you get in my business, we we gonna have to work on on, on your intro. You sound like one of them old ass pimps from back of the day. Yo, 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 baby, yo. Well, I thought that you was getting ready to try to talk to me or something. What? I can't holler at you? No? We're going to have to work on y'all intro. I, I'm going to need y'all to, uh, to, to comment on that. Did you just catch the mosquito? I was trying to. Was you on your Mr. Miyagi? I was trying, but you it didn't work. Karate Kid? So we are sitting here enjoying this nice Tampa breeze because we don't have a winter. It's just like a little chilly outside. So we got our door open. So there's a mosquito like flying around and he's aggravating me. But whatever, I'm going to let him be until I catch his ass. Well, I hope you do because he's biting me up. Then his ass is grass. Okay, so as per usual... Before we get into all the good stuff, uh, we're going to give you the brown liquor drink of the week. And for this brown liquor drink of the week, we are going to do a rum punch. So, uh, for this drink, you'll need Bacardi Gold Rum, pineapple juice, orange juice, grenadine, bitters, ice, cherry, and orange slice to garnish. So the re- the recipe says 1.2 ounces of Bacardi Gold Rum, but y'all know how we do it. We like our drinks strong around here, so we're going to say, what, three ounces of Gold Rum? I don't know. I just pour. Yeah, we just pour. Um, two ounces of pineapple juice, two ounces of orange juice, one teaspoon of grenadine, two drops of bitters, and cherry and orange slices to garnish. Shake it all up, and boom, there you go. Rum punch. Mm, we calling that titties out. <laughs> mm-hmm, if you see the smile on my face, y'all, I'll be like, ooh, Nikki's a fucking creep, but... Titties out. Titties okay, out. so that is the new name of the drink. It's not going to be called a rum punch. It's going to be called the titties out. Exactly. Like, it can't be on some old normal shit. This is brown liquor. But you ain't even got your titties out. First of all, don't be telling my business. I'm just saying, normally right, you... I'm have to pull my titties now you, out. Normally you have your titties out, but... Well, it's a little chippy. My nipples is hard. I've been oh, working okay. all day. Okay. You know what I mean? I wanted to read my book 
You know what? We ain't gonna go into all that. I'm just gonna go ahead and, and, and pull my titties out. Okay. And, and don't be telling the peoples when I don't. Okay. I ain't supposed to know that. I'm just saying. You always doing something. You tell my business. Well, no, your business right now is to work on that intro. Cause if you come out with that yo baby yo one more time, I'm. I'm well, don't worry Bobby about Brown. my yo yo baby yo. Okay. <laughs> I'm calling Bobby Brown because I, I swear he said that in one of them, them movies or something. I don't know. So, as always, um, our disclaimer, make sure you don't drink and drive. Make sure you have a designated driver if you are out and about. We never say that. Just keep it I'm calm. just saying, like, you know, Y'all we know always say know. don't drink and drive. Look. Be safe. Know your drink level. Yeah, but I'm saying we all grown here. Going into the third season, we ain't going to keep throwing out no disclaimers. Yes, we do gotta keep Man. throwing out a disclaimer Man. if we don't want to be sued. Yes, we do. Who gonna sue us? I don't know, but they ain't gonna get nothing because we ain't got nothing to give. Yeah. I got, I got a couple dollars. I mean, you do, but I'm, I'm just saying, we need to keep that. So, therefore, we have nothing to give. You telling the people you got money for them to sue you? Like, that's stupid. Now it's on tape. Yeah, you ain't think about that. No, I'm going to just go on ahead and continue to take my titties out. <laughs> anyway. And sip my wine. So, as you may or may not know, Naked Nikki is an award-winning author. She is a business owner. Mm-hmm. Multiple business owner. And she has, what, six books? Five, seven books? I want to say seven. So we are going to get all into her author business and get into the books and the publishing company and all of that good stuff. Because what y'all may not know is even though she jokes and clowns on this podcast, outside of that, she is a very serious, very thorough business person. Business woman. Business woman. There you Slash go. Slash aggress no business aggressive woman. Okay. That yeah. Yeah, because I will cut somebody out. Business or no business, don't don't play with me. So let's start with the publishing company. How did you start the publishing company and what was your inspiration behind starting a publishing company? I started the publishing company to help men and women who were incarcerated uh, to publish their books. When I first started writing, I was incarcerated. Uh, being incarcerated and writing and talking to people, you hear a lot of stories. Everybody has a story to tell. So once I came home and started to believe in myself and actually published my book, it was my goal to want to go back behind those walls so uh, those young women can tell their stories. Then I started working in the county jail a couple of years after that and working in the county jail and so many people asking me questions on you know, how to publish and how to get published. Uh, I had to really make it a dream, like make it work put it out there and really just start pushing it so that the men and women, especially in our community, you know, saying being black could be able to publish books. 
when you go online, most of the publishing companies that are owned, and, and I, you know what I'm saying, I hate to say it, you know, about you know, white people, mm-hmm. these self-publishing mm-hmm. companies, man, they're charging an arm and a leg. I spent over three grand publishing my first book, and it still wasn't done right. So I wanted to make it affordable for myself and make it affordable for others so that, you know what I mean, we can get our stories out there. So I'm really self-taught. I learned everything on my own, and I just applied it, and I kept pushing until I uh, created the publishing company and started publishing my own books. Because there was no way in hell I was going to continue to pay somebody else to do what I could do and could do better. Right. Yeah. So... After your incarceration, you mm-hmm. come you come home, mm-hmm. you you wrote the book, you wrote your first book while you were incarcerated. I wrote several books while I was incarcerated. Okay, so you wrote several books while you were incarcerated. Mm-hmm. You come home and basically change your life completely around. Hell no. I came home and started fucking up. <laughs> when I first when I first came home, I had to go to a halfway house. So I had to do five years. Uh, through the grace of God and when, you know what I'm saying, people that are upstate hear this episode, they'll, you know what I'm saying, know that God was definitely on my side because they weren't even given pre-release out at the time when I was incarcerated for people to be able to go home early. So when it came around for, you know what I'm saying, me to go home, Four years was coming up. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I started hearing that pre-release was starting to, you know what I'm saying, come back around. Because so many people were getting locked up, they needed to make room. I started praying, you know what I mean? And being in jail uh, those four years, I started to think, you know, I did some self-evaluations. Uh, I started getting closer with my family and, I, you know what I'm saying, was getting closer with God. So I feel like God, you know what I'm saying, maneuvered all of that. Four years in, you know, nobody gets pre-release exactly when it's time for them to get pre-release. And I did. Mm -hmm. I went to a uh, boot camp. And when I was in boot camp, I only had like maybe three months left for that four-year mark. And people was like, oh, girl, you're going to be sitting here until it's almost time for you to go home. No, God had other plans for me. So I got out exactly four years before it was time for, well, I had dead four years before it was time for me to actually, you know what I'm saying, go home. So that last year, they let me go to a halfway house. Being in a halfway house, I feel like was the hardest year that I had to do. And being so close to home, but still really being incarcerated because even though I was home and was able to walk around, I still had to report and I still had to go back to a halfway house. Mm-hmm. I had to get tested and all types of shit. You know what I'm saying? Like drug tested and things mm-hmm. like that. So doing that and, you know what I mean, being so close to my son, my son living with my mom and coming home, trying to be a mother, still don't really know how to communicate with my son. Like it was crazy. Uh, the girl that I was dating at the time, that went haywire, and I couldn't find a job. So nothing was perfect at that time. I had to figure out life and figure out what my next move was going to be. I was talking about publishing my book, and I was letting people like sample it, but it was 
in. It was in arms like length, but it wasn't nowhere for real, for real in sight. I didn't publish my book until I was home about five years. And I went through hell and high water. Found out my found out that my uh son's father had passed away when I was in jail. Uh ex girlfriend got murdered. Uh a lot of decisions that I had made when I was growing up was coming back to haunt me. I was drinking, hitting a bottle, crazy as hell. So life really wasn't, you know what I'm saying, up to my standards at that time. So when I went to prison and I wrote Twist the Fate, that's the very first book that I wrote. It saved my life. It made me a new person. And when I came home and I started going through all that turmoil and I actually hit rock bottom, the book saved me again. I had to go through some therapy. And in therapy, I was sitting there and I was listening to other people's stories. And that's when it just clicked like, it's time for you to tell yours. Stop being scared. Walk in your purpose. Do what God intended you to do and why he let you be out here early. Like, it's time for you to go ahead and do it. And it was like from that moment on, I went back to work because I had took off work for just from everything that I was going through. I went back to work and I started working double time so that I could earn extra money to publish the book. And I didn't stop until I published it. And that's basically the first step that happened. After that, it was like off to the races. Um, after I found a publishing company that would take payment arrangements, I started paying them and went online and started finding people to help me edit and, uh, create my book cover. And it was, it was, it was good. And it was like one of the best feelings in the world. And in the end, there was so much turmoil going on, um, between me and my family at that time, just all of us, you know what I'm saying, in general, we all were bickering amongst uh, amongst ourselves, like me, my mother, my brother, my immediate family. When I published the book, it brought us all back together. So it, it, it was just like a wonderful, uh, a wonderful experience. That's a beautiful thing. So we're coming up on the five-year anniversary of your first book, Twist mm-hmm. of Fate. Mm-hmm. So give us a synopsis of the story behind Twist of Fate. And y'all, let me tell y'all, I've read Twist of Fate. I'm actually still reading it. I'm at the end, the last couple parts. No, you in the middle. (laughs) Well, yeah, basically. But it is a bomb-ass book. Like, it amazes me how creative your mind is and how you were able to just put this story together. Like, I'll text you as I'm reading it, like, so wait, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I can't give y'all no insight on the book, but give us a synopsis of Twist of Fate and where that inspiration, creativity, the storyline, the characters, everything, where did that come from? How were you able to put such an amazing piece of work together? Okay, so you had several questions basically in one question. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, before I got locked up, I promised myself that I was going to write a book. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me start from the beginning. I've always been a good storyteller and I've always been a great liar my mom always said that like girl you can tell a story you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying but 
even when I was a a young buck, I would say probably like second grade, I started writing uh, like stories and love notes and lies. Just I was always a good storyteller. My teachers used to tell me that too. Uh, in the midst of me growing up, you know, I started writing poetry, started writing poetry for my friends, for their boyfriends. And you know what I'm saying? You know, boyfriends wanted to write, po- you know, get poetry to their girlfriends. So I used to do all of that. Uh, and I used to try to write a book, but I was out there in them streets, like heavy. I would always start, but I would never finish. Mm-hmm. So when I got, uh, sentenced to do five years, sitting at the bar drinking, I had told my friend at the time, I had told everybody in the bar while I was buying a round of drinks. When I go to jail, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to come home. I'm going to be a best-selling author. Everybody's looking at me like, yeah, all right, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But, you know, that's what I said. And when they slapped the cuffs off of me and they took me off and they hauled my black ass off to jail in front of my mom, that's what I had on my mind. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. Uh, The first week that I was locked up, I was, you know, coming down off that high. You know what I'm saying? Of being in the clubs drinking every day, chicken wings. Like I had a lot of I had a lot of addictions, you know what I'm saying? People think that when you uh sell drugs that the only person that has addictions is the person that you're selling to, but mm-hmm. I was an alcoholic. I was drinking every day. You know what I'm saying? I was addicted to the lifestyle of being out in the streets, spending money frivolously and you know what I'm saying? Those type of things. So, I was going into a withdrawal. Like I couldn't eat, you know what I'm saying? I couldn't sleep and Somebody slid a, a a hood book in like under my door in my cell. It was called Black China. I'll never forget it. Uh, publishing company was Triple Crown Publishing. And when I picked it up, I started reading it, and I didn't put it down. And the story was so real, and it felt like I was, you know, what I'm saying like I was reading about me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh shit, I can do this. Like this, if I can write about this, like what I already know, like I can do this. So after I got done reading it, next week on commissary, I bought a a pen and a notepad, and boom, like I just started. I just started writing. Uh, After that, I say like, uh, because that was in the county when that happened. I want to say a month later, I ended up going upstate and I started reading other uh, hood books. And, you know, I started talking to some people that was uh, incarcerated with me, like once they let me out. And I ended up running into another young lady that, you know what I'm saying, wanted to pursue the same dream. Uh, her name was Boy. I actually give her a shout out in, uh, in my acknowledgments. Her name is Shamika. Uh, she had already written a book mm-hmm. by hand, ink, paper. We was outside. Like, we didn't know each other from a can of paint, but we bonded over a game of basketball, and she told me. And I was like, hey, you know, I was like, let me read some. So she let me read four chapters of her book. So once I seen her book written on paper in ink, and it was bomb, that was just another notation. Motivation. That I like, all right, like, this is meant. For you to do, you gotta do it. So, I just once again I started writing and just started putting stuff together. And at first, you know, what I'm saying when I was writing, it was coming together and it wasn't coming together. 
And, you know, I was throwing shit away and starting over. And then, I want to say maybe about, because I got locked up in June. I want to say August. I picked up the notebook again. And I just started writing. And I was so angry. I was angry because the 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 people that I was dealing with, you know what I'm saying, on the street, like they left me high and dry. I was angry for being locked up for selling drugs. So the anger just fueled me. And mm-hmm. I took my life, you know what I'm saying, and I wrapped it in a beautiful lie so that the streets wouldn't come back, you know what I'm saying, uh, to, to, you know, to get me. And my mama went and smacked me in the face for telling the family secrets. As far as putting the book together, like I was telling you when we was having our conversation mm-hmm. the other day, the book wrote itself. Uh, I didn't have a process. I just picked up the pen and, and I started literally writing. started writing. And from the books that I was reading, I wanted my book to top everything that I had read. So I wanted to have the nastiest villain. I wanted to have the craziest connections. And once again, even though the book is so raw, street and street savvy and courageous, I feel like God was just... You know what I'm saying? God in the pen. Because it is. Like, the book is raw as hell when I... You know. You already know. Like, Mm -hmm. the book is mean. I don't want to say there's nothing godly about the book because God is represented throughout the whole book. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Definitely. it's just like, ugh. And I would write a chapter. Then I would go back and read it. And then I would write another chapter. I would go back and read that chapter. And write another chapter. But there, like I didn't, at that time, I didn't have a process. I didn't start to get a process until I started to write, you know what I'm saying, other manuscripts. And from the, I'm not going to say the mistakes, but to make it easier for me to write the next novel, I took different approaches. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not one to create an outline. I just write like I'll see something and it may remind me of a situation that I was in or something that I have heard, you know, along the lines, uh, you know, of a story, real life story. And I'll just take it and I'll run with it. And I guess that's just the beauty of my mind when it comes to, you know what I'm saying, to writing the book. Uh, now. I would say, you know what I'm saying, what I'm working on, I I have tried to create outlines, but it never it, it, it never works for me. It don't flow it, as good nope, as it does when nope. you just allow yourself to just be free yep. and just write. Yep, yep. And uh, some of the series that I wrote, like the Mrs. and Mrs. Toxic series, I wrote that under the influence Mm -hmm. yeah uh great series you know we hit on tox intoxicating relationships and things like that go ahead what was you gonna say i was gonna say we'll get to that one we'll get to those we're gonna get to that one all right but with twist of fate though god got at that pen anger got at that pen determination got at that pen and it took me nine months to write the first book like it takes you nine months to carry a baby and when it was finished I, I, I was a new person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So with this five year anniversary, what it, what can we expect from the original version? It, it was going to be different. The original version, it's it's very raw. And because I was going through so many things in my life, there it there is like there's a lot of truth. So as I'm telling the story, you know what I mean? What I was going through the day that I picked up the pen in chapter 8 or chapter 9 or chapter 11, something spilled out from that day of what I was thinking, mm-hmm. what I went through in my past. So I feel like there's a lot of jargon which reflects on my life and what I was going through. Like I was just reading, rereading it now because, you know, I'm doing another reread before mm-hmm. the release. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, damn, I can remember exactly what was going on when I was writing that chapter just because of some of the things that I had said in the book. So I cleaned it up a lot. Twist of Fate, uh, the the first edition, I paid over $1,000 for it to be edited and it still wasn't right. Um, I didn't have a team, so I was paying people to do things and they weren't doing it correctly. I didn't go back and reread the book. I just went ahead and published it. You know what I'm saying? So those were things that I learned along the way in the process. So those are going to be a lot of, well, with the new book, you're going to see a lot of that eliminated. Like if you buy the old copy, and you better get it now because it's not going to be Y'all available. better get it now because yeah, once this five-year anniversary come hits, out. You're not going to be able to get it. And I promise you. That's going to be the one that's going to, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be worth money because I'm telling you, give, it's been out for five years. I say give it five more years and it's definitely going to be like that classic. It's going to be sitting next to Coldest Winter Ever. I kind of feel like it's already better. Yeah, I don't even think five years. I say like two. You say two more? I feel like after the re-release, because it's going to be cleaned up, mm-hmm. Um, you know what I'm saying, editing-wise, uh we got the chapter's name this time. Um, the cover is going to be different. Uh, it's going to be marketed different. It's going to come across as a way. It's going to come across a better read. You know okay. what I mean? And at the end of the day, I don't got to be careful what you say. Right. Because people will pull it up. But mainstream, I'll say that. I feel like the re-release, the fifth year anniversary it'll appeal to a larger audience. Right. A larger main a, a a larger mainstream audience. Okay. This this the first one though, like people loved it. No matter what color, no matter what age group. I tell you this, my mama, Lord rest her soul, she knew the book was raw and uncut. My mom was a was a Christian woman. She sold that. She sold my book to every every <laughs> person in her congregation. I know that's right, Mama. I'm like, Mom, you can't be selling this book. You you know what's in this book, my mom's like, we all got to pass. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So every walk of faith have you know what I'm saying you know gravitated towards this book. I've got so many hugs. I've got so many grave reviews. And to me, now that I'm re you know what I'm saying doing a re-release, I'm going back and. You know what I'm saying? Reading it. It is a good story, but there's just a lot of jargon. Like I said, the editing was the editing was sucky. And people still love the story. Mm-hmm. So with it cleaned up with a whole new attitude, man, yeah. Breakfast Club, here we come. Yeah. Yeah. So next was Humble Waters. Yes. 
So oh, wait a minute though, I didn't even give them a clip though about Twisted Fate. So let me let me give y'all. This is the version that I give people when they come up to like my booth or whatnot, whatnot. When uh, you know what I'm saying I'm selling copies and they look like, oh, what is Twisted Fate about? I hit them with the Twisted Fate, a truth wrapped in a beautiful lie. Is the shit. Mm-hmm. No, I don't say that. <laughs> I kind of, I, I kind of got stuck. I forgot my little pitch. Maybe because you already kind of said it. You said the nine month thing. Yeah, but that you said that you wanted the uh, synopsis too. So the book is based on a character. Her name is Egypt Winters. Egypt is abandoned by her mother and father at birth, and she's great, and she's raised by her God fearing grandmother. Egypt herself though doesn't believe in god so she makes bad decisions after bad she makes one bad decision after the next not having a mother and father hating god until she makes one decision that changes her life she ends up getting abducted by one of her friends that she thinks you know what i'm saying is her friends and when she's abducted she's sold into sex slavery and she's uh strung out on heroin that's that mosquito again and she's strung out on heroin as she drifts off from you know what I'm saying doing the drugs she goes over her life and she tells you basically how she got to where she's at at that moment so you would have to read the book mm-hmm. to see if she makes it out alive or if she dies trying okay yeah so I like that it is it's good I kind of stumbled on that I don't know you're kind of making me nervous let me sit my wing <laughs> let me sit my wing so now Humble Waters. Humble Waters is the second novel. Yes. So, how did Humble Waters come about? BT. Shout out to Ashanti. Uh, the one song that she had that got the piano with the video. Um, damn. The way that I love. Yeah, that. Yes. What is the way that I love you? That video inspired Humble Waters, but it wasn't called Humble Waters first. It was called Snap and uh, Reason of Insanity. So, and the main character's name was Humble Waters. Mm -hmm. So, Humble's a good girl. She has the perfect life. She's with her high school sweetheart. They've been together for years. They have two kids. She's sheltered in her boyfriend is out in the streets you know what i'm saying he hustles and he cheats on her and he does all of these crazy things and then he goes to jail and when he goes to jail her best friend humble's best friend gets her to start going out and going to clubs and when she goes out and starts going to clubs she gets addicted to the nightlife and she starts dating women and she falls in love with the club owner and everything just starts to switch switch up yes and we i call her you know what i'm saying the queen of the night you know what i mean because she ended up taking on you know what i'm saying her boyfriend's role while he was locked up okay so when he comes home from prison you know what i'm saying she tries to convert and go back to the woman that she used to be but the streets still got them still got that hold on her and the people that she was dealing with don't want her to leave and really want Joviel, which is her uh, boyfriend, out of the picture. Humble has a, uh, Humble's raised by a madam, 
she doesn't know who her father is. Mm-hmm. So she has a lot of home issues as well. The story is really deep. Humble goes through, you know what I'm saying, a lot of different things. And we don't know if the boyfriend sticks around to the end of the story. There's a part one and a part two, the Humble Waters too. Uh, part one is out. Part two is coming. The fifth anniversary of Humble Waters is coming out. So that's going to well. be a re-release as well. Yes. Humble Waters Part 1 is going to be a re-release. Humble Waters Part 2, nobody has seen yet. I've actually been sitting on that. Okay. Four or five years. I've been, I've been should have released it, but I was going through so many different emotions. I ended up writing the Mrs. and Mrs. Toxic series and, you know what I'm saying, things like that. But uh, Humble Waters is is as good as hell. And the, and the thing about the, uh, the Truth Wrapped in a Beautiful Lies series even though they're two two different stories, Twist of Fate is about me growing up. Humble Waters is about a young lady that I was dating and myself. And once again, I just took our story and I wrapped it in a beautiful eye. The young lady that, you know what I'm saying, is representing Humble Waters. She actually, uh, you know what I'm saying, passed away. She got murdered. But uh, there's a lot of little... In real things. life, in not real in life, the book. Not in the book. Okay. In real life, okay. she got murdered. Um, but there's a lot of details, though, in the book that is about us. I still have to be careful, you know what I'm saying, what right, I right, say. So, right. uh, about us. And, you know, before she had left us, you know, I had told her my, my idea. And she was like, you know, go ahead and run with it. So, you know, I, that that that's what I did. And I, and I brought her story to life and I brought my story to life in... It's just crazy. Like the twist and the turns in the humble waters is amazing too. Once again, I didn't have a format. I just used that energy from our relationship and other stories that I heard and things that I've been through and I and I jotted it down and it became a best selling a best selling uh, book. So first, let's just say, may God rest her soul to this young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, after you got the motivation to write Twist of Fate, you wrote it all out by hand, got the editing done, did the publishing yourself. Like you say, you were self-taught. You were just like, okay, now I see that I can do this. And you mm-hmm. just was like, boom, I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. And then I... uh I started to put a team together. Once I published the books, I had to, um, you know, start selling them and doing events and things like that. Now, like I said, like the books weren't perfect. The covers were great, you know what I'm saying? But the editing sucked still, even with the second book. Um, I had too many people, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. Too many different hands in the in pot. In the pot. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And uh, I just had to learn by trial and error. And going out meeting people at different events. I met a young lady. Let me shout out Portia too, man. Portia, Felicia Lewis. She got the Pussy Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Man, love her. She's in Atlanta. I, um, I ended up being next to her one day at an event. And she gave me the perfect person to do my editing and to do my formatting for my book, which changed, yeah, like which changed the game. Shout out to you again, Portia. Love you, boo. Um, Because one thing I can say about black 
people is we tend to not share our resources because we feel like, oh, they're going to have a leg up on me. Right. Like, no, we all, it's enough space for all of us in whatever realm you in, whether it's writing or podcasting or singing or rapping or whatever making videos or whatever it is like you can share your resources it's enough for all of us to eat yeah and to go around and when you share your resources you know what i'm saying when you bless somebody blessings come back to right you. exactly and she did man like she put me on to some game like look sis you need to do this 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 and this and you're gonna be great so i took the advice that she gave me the people that she introduced me to i started working with them and it all came together so now I got somebody to do my covers. Now I got somebody to do formatting. Mm-hmm. Now I got somebody to do editing. The only thing I had to do now was learn how to go ahead and put it all together myself and uh, find a platform to use, which was Amazon. You know what I'm saying? You can use Amazon. You can use Barnes & Nobles. Uh, there's, those are the two major places that you can go to where you can actually create your book uh, for free. You know what I mean? Once you actually get it up and upload it, they're going to take a chunk of your right, money. <laughs> right. But those are platforms that you can go to to create your book for free. You have a lot of other places that you can go, you know, Book Baby, Google Play, all of those uh, spots you can go on as well to create your book. Uh, but the best ones, though, you know, are Amazon and Barnes & Nobles. Uh, but you do. You have to have a team. I was trying to do everything myself, but you can't do everything yourself. Some people can, but for me, I could not. Right. Once I got the team in place, um, because like I said, Twist of Fate was done by a self-publishing company. Then I did a second edition of that, and I redid it myself so that the other publishing company couldn't take my money. Mm-hmm. They were so high. They charged me like 3000 to publish the book. Then they were charging me double. It only cost me $6 to make my book myself. Mm -hmm. The publishing company that I had, the self-publishing company that I had went through was charging me $11.62. So they were charging me double Mm -hmm. for me to buy my own book, which I only should have really been paying $6 for. Right, right. And on top of that, they were taking a percentage from anybody that was buying the book directly from them. Mm -hmm. And off of Amazon. And off of Barnes and Nobles because they set me up on all those right. platforms. So at the end of the day, I was only making like $3 for every book that I sold. Oh, hell no. Right. And that's why I created, once again, like the publishing company to show people that you don't need those outside sources. My The way that I'll help you publish your book, I'm going to set you up to be your own boss. I don't want to cut you a check. I want you to get your own check. I'm here to publish your book one time. And it sets you up to show you how to make your own book. And that's, you know what I'm saying? Some people want to do that. And some people be like, no, Nick, I'll just keep on paying you. Because that's something that I don't want to do. I'll just go ahead and let you do it. I'm I'm not a publisher. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be a publisher. I just want to write my books. And I don't care. I'll pay you to go ahead and set it up and do everything that you need to do in the system. So the publishing company is called... Emotional fiction publishing firm. So you guys have heard the commercial that I do for emotional fiction, emotional fiction publishing. So if they want to connect with you, emotional fiction publishing dot com. Emotional fiction publishing, publishing firm dot com. 
Right. Which is a long ass name. Thinking about actually revamping the name and uh, the company again. Just more mainstream guys to just get, you know what I'm saying? More clients. But that's not going to come probably for another year. Because I'm so busy with the books right now. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because you're giving them too much free game. So, we've discussed the publishing company and how you became a self-publishing author. You then gave them the background on Twist of Fate. You then gave them the free game on Humble Waters. So, next on part two, we're going to talk about the writing formula Mm -hmm. and the Mrs. and Mrs. Toxic series and what to expect next from Naked Nikki. Right. Y'all know I talk a whole goddamn bunch, so we had to break this shit up in the part one and the part two. I like doing stuff like that to keep y'all guys on edge. Keep you on edge. So all the time. Yeah, you gotta listen to this one and you gotta listen to part two. So come on back now, you hear? Make right. sure you come back, tune in for part two. Right, because that Mrs. and Mrs. Toxic series, that shit is deep and it's dope, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of different entities went into that. A lot of different emotions and a lot of different, you know what I'm saying, feelings and life-changing experiences with me, you know? And it helped me write everything that I wrote. One thing about me, anything that you read, it's always going to be emotional. It's always going to be a life-changing experience within me. And it's always going to be real and keep you at the edge of your seat. Just like like this episode. (laughs) So... Tune in next week for part two, yeah. where we continue the Naked Nikki interview. And don't forget to lick that split. Lick that split, baby. Brown liquor.